Yeah, there's not much going on today. The head of the banking regulator in the U.S. has been trying to pacify the U.S. Senate Banking Committee. Uh, but the focus now back on central banks who might have more work to do with consumer confidence remaining high in the U.S., supported by some jobs data. In Australia, we're still shopping. And inflation today, will it move the dial on what the RBA does next week? It's Wednesday, the 29th of March, 2023. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, shares are down in the U.S. overnight. We had a half percent drop in the Nasdaq. The Dow is down 0.1 percent. The S&P has lost 0.2 percent at close. We had some larger losses earlier, but they've been paired back a little in the in the final hour of trade. Very small moves in European equities, but largely positive there. Bond yields rising a little, up two basis points for ten-year Treasuries. Two years up, almost nine basis points. Uh, in fact, hitting 4.08 percent overnight. German ten-year bonds are up six basis points. Ten-year gilts up nine, whereas two years are only up seven in the UK. And Aussie 10-year yields yesterday were up 10 to 3.29%, up another five basis points or so on futures overnight, so moving well away from that 3.2% low that we saw yesterday. The US dollar is weaker. It's down half percent on the DXY, a strong session for the Aussie dollar, up 0.8%, over 67.8 US cents now. The euro and the pound both up half a percent. The Japanese yen up 0.6%, and oil rising again today, up 0.8% for WTI and for Brent. Gold is up 0.8% this morning. So it's been what you might call a low news day uh, (laughs) overnight. Uh, But we get Australian inflation today, so that should add a bit of interest in colour, perhaps. But let's pick over what we can uh, from yesterday and overnight, first of all, with uh, JB Weir's Sally Old. She joins me. I mean, not much data-wise, was there? There's Australian retail sales. We can talk about that. But in the US, well, yields still rising. A few hawkish words from James Bullard. We are back to, uh, you know, hanging on the words of central banks again. Oh, it's getting a bit boring, really, Sally. <laughs> That's right, Phil. It wasn't the most exciting session overnight, but I did think those comments from Bullard were interesting. Um, you know, he effectively, I guess, emphasised and reinforced the approach that the Fed and, and you know, you would argue the ECB uh, and probably the Bank of England have taken of late, which is to really try and separate the two challenges facing central banks. And so on one hand, we know we've got a whole set of macroeconomic challenges where uh, economies have been more resilient than central banks thought would be the case and inflation has been more persistent. Um, And so they are dealing with those challenges through the process of lifting rates. And then another set of challenges which really relate to financial stability um, and all the dramas that have played out in the banking system in the US and, and elsewhere, and central banks are choosing to use a whole other set of tools to deal with those. And this is what uh, you know people who, who spend a lot of time thinking about central banking call the separation principle, which is something that Ben Bernanke used to talk about a fair bit, which is finding the right tool um, for the job. And I think you know so far, central banks have been pretty successful at doing that. And one of the reasons for that is that you know, the dramas in the banking system have been actually far more about liquidity rather than the quality of assets on bank balance sheets. And when the story is one of liquidity, um, central banks have lots of tools existing and new ones that they can use to address that issue pretty quickly and and pretty discreetly. So um, the comments from Bullard were pretty much like, you know, we've got two sets of challenges and we've got different tools in the toolkit. And, you know, just because we're facing challenges on the financial stability side, doesn't mean that there's a change in plan. Mm. 
in terms of what we're going to do on on the rate side. Still got this difference though, haven't we, in attitudes between where the Fed thinks they're going and where the uh, where the markets think they're going, like, particularly in the second half of this year. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, market pricing is pretty extreme in the US. So the market's sitting there saying, you know, somewhere between a, a 40 and 50% chance of a, a 25 basis point rate hike at the at the Fed's next meeting. Uh, and then effectively the market says, but after that, uh, it's it's really all about rate cuts um, mm. from, from there on in. So, you know, I think um, the market's a bit divided on that. That's clearly where the market pricing is at the moment. But, you know, when you look at sort of what the strategists and what the economists are calling, um, you know, there are, there are a number who are, are sort of saying, no, that's not the right way to, to think about things. And it's quite possible that maybe the Fed hikes once or twice more and then just uh, sits on, on hold. Um, and yeah. I think, you know, my sense would be that that's probably the right way to think about things. Um, I think all central banks, including our own, and we can talk about this a bit later, you know, are, are sort of at that point where they'd like to be able just to sit back and see how the data evolve. Um, but I think in the case of the Fed, maybe they have a little bit more to do before they're comfortable about that shift in strategy. So do you think we are now totally over worrying about banks? So we had the uh, the Senate Banking Committee uh, uh, being question- questioning the FDIC about the, the bank failures that we saw in the US. So Michael Barr, the head of the FDIC, uh, said the Silicon Valley collapse was a, this is a quote, textbook case of mismanagement. Uh, you know, they, he's saying, of course, that the sector is sound, people's money is uh, it is safe. Uh, they might increase the liquidity rules a little bit, so there's a, so there's a bigger buffer. But basically, he's saying, you know, nothing to worry about, and seems like you know everyone's agreeing with him. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, I, I think um, you know my, my sense would be that um, it's sort of not over till it's it's really over, and I, I suspect we will go through um, the next couple of months, maybe next couple of quarters, with these sorts of issues uh, just percolating away in in the background. Um, it feels like regulators have probably done enough for the time being to put some stability uh, back in the system. Um, and, you know, Janet Yellen as, as Treasury Secretary has has sort of made it pretty clear, as has Jay Powell, that, you know, everyone's deposits are safe. So you don't need to worry about, you know, taking them out of small or regional banks and putting them into to big banks. Um, but let's just sort of see what happens, because I think we know from everything that's transpired over over the last sort of six months, whether we're talking about bank failures in the US, whether we're talking about the collapse of FTX, whether we're talking about the dramas that played out in the long end of the sovereign bond market in the UK, mm. um, the driver of all those sort of events, which seem you know quite unique and idiosyncratic in their own right, the driver has been the same. It's effectively that repricing of the cost of capital, which has happened as central banks have lifted rates pretty aggressively in a short space of time. Yeah. That's ultimately what's been behind all of this. So there's still a question I, I, about I guess, what, what breaks next, I guess, is the question. Yeah, I think, still yeah, yeah, that's absolutely right. So, you know, I think it might be a little bit premature to say, you know what, everything's fine. Um, nothing else will go wrong from here. Um, but at least in the, in the very short term, it feels like things have settled down a bit. Yeah. So uh, consumer confidence was a. I mean, it's just so uh, you know, so confident, isn't it? In the in the US, the March <laughs> figures, present conditions, and expectations were both up. This was, I think, the survey was before the bank crisis, wasn't it? Uh, and and maybe it's going to change as people start to lose their jobs, which is expected. You know, and it sounds like the Fed's going to keep on going at it until that happens. Forty nine point one percent of consumers said jobs were plentiful, which was down from. 51.2, which is nothing at all, 
isn't it really so i mean it shows they're they're happy they're confident and they're you know they feel like there's lots of jobs around still yeah absolutely so this was the conference board measure of u.s consumer confidence and as i understand it i think it it took sort of um survey results up until about the 20th of march so it probably did capture um at least part of the the sort of drama around the failure of silicon valley bank um, but as you said, like it's a it's a pretty strong outcome, um, and sort of tells us that there was no sort of genuinely negative reaction to banking system dramas. Um, and I think that's partly a function of the fact that probably, as you said, you know, for the average consumer out there, the labour market's still very tight. And one of the things about the conference board measure of consumer confidence is that it does have um, a fair bit of information on what's going on in the labour market, and it, and and. They measure it through a differential. So they sort of take, you know, the number of people who say jobs are really plentiful versus the number of people who say they're hard to get. Um, and that series actually correlates, as you would expect, pretty well with the number of labour market indicators. And it's still very, very elevated. Like it's a little bit off its highs, but it's basically consistent with this idea that the labour market in the US is is still very tight. And I think, as you said, you know, that probably tells you that the Fed is not done yet. Mm. No, absolutely. So what about the RBA then? I mean, no big surprise with Australian retail sales yesterday. The the January number was downgraded by 0.1% to 1.8%. The February number was 0.1% higher than expected, so at 0.2%. So it sort of uh, evens itself out. Take out 0.1% for one month, add it onto the next one. Uh, and, uh, you know, department stores. Yes, there still are some. Uh, and clothing, <laughs> uh, the two highest growth categories. Plus eating out, you know, Aussie summer, after you've done your clothing shop, uh, you know, mm-hmm. go and sit in a cafe and look Pop at what you've just cafe, bought. Yep. Exactly. I mean, it doesn't <laughs> sound like a nation struggling, does it? No, I mean, you know, a rise of two-tenths of a percent in the month is is probably not, you know, it's not strong, but it wasn't as bad as, you know, a number of forecasters um, were expecting. And so people were looking at this pretty closely because the RBA governor did say, look, there's four sort of four stories or four indicators we're going to be watching pretty carefully over the next little while. And and they were obviously the labor market, the business surveys, inflation and consumption or retail sales. So people were were watching this one um, pretty closely. I sort of feel like at point two for the month, um, it's a bit neutral. So if you were calling for a a hike um, at the RBA's next meeting in April, you wouldn't bother changing that call on the basis of that number. And likewise, if you were calling for a pause, you'd probably say, you know, neither here nor there. Yeah. So everyone's um, entrenched in their position. So, but we get inflation today, <laughs> so that might change things. I mean, bond yield's rising quite a bit ahead of, ahead of the release today. Yeah, that's right. So these are the monthly inflation numbers. Um, and yeah. so these will be the numbers for February. And the, the market sort of consensus is that the annual rate of inflation growth will drop a little bit from 7.4 in January down to 72 uh, in in February, so we'll see what we get when those numbers come out later this morning. Um, and you know what what the market is and the RBA is really looking for is some sort of sign that you know inflation did genuinely um, peak in the fourth quarter of 2022. And if the number comes in as broadly expected, that'll be a little bit more evidence that that was the case. But I still think um, you know there is. Um, enough uncertainty about this new monthly series of CPI that the RBA will probably take it a little bit with a grain of salt. And what's really going to matter, um, I think, for the domestic rate outlook um, is going to be that quarterly inflation print, which comes on the 26th of April. And, you know, our colleagues in NAB Economics have sort of highlighted that some of the partial indicators we're getting on inflation, whether that be from the NAB Business Survey or for other high-frequency surveys or data around inflation, 
sort of pointing to the risk that, you know, the quarterly measures, particularly on the core series for inflation, could come in higher than the RBA have sort of currently penciled into their forecasts. And so if mm. that's the case, then, you know, I think it tells you that, again, the, the RBA, whether it hikes or pauses in, in April, is probably going to be um, back in May to deliver more hikes. Next week or in a month's time, one or the other, but certainly uh, going up. All right. Uh, not much else to say. I mean, the German consumer confidence today, US pending home sales. Otherwise, it, it's very quiet, you know, unless another bank collapses or something else breaks. But uh, let's assume not and assume that we've got a quiet one. And uh, let's sneak out early today because we can. And uh, we'll, we'll catch you again next time, Sally. All right. Love it to chat. Thanks, Phil. Just one of those in-between days, wasn't it, really? That's it for today. I'm Phil Dobby for NAB. Back again tomorrow morning. I'll see you then. Thanks for listening.